This episode brought to you by Cafe Imports, Minneapolis-based importers of fine specialty green coffees, independently owned and operated since 1993. Cafe Imports has been dedicated to decreasing its impact on the earth through renewable energy, carbon neutrality, and by supporting conservational efforts in places where quality coffee is grown and also where quality coffee is consumed. Where does your coffee come from? And by the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation. As a nonprofit, we rely on support from listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please consider a donation. To learn more and make a gift, visit us at www.gosuperior.org. Welcome to the Lake Superior Podcast. I'm Walt Lindela. And I'm Frida Wara. We are made stronger by story, and there's no better source than the continent's largest body of fresh water, Lake Superior. So join us as we highlight the five national parks that ring this greatest of the Great Lakes, meet the people, tour the places, and learn about the projects that make these parks and body of water so remarkable. This podcast made possible with the support of the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation and Media Brew Communications. I'm Walt Lindela. And I'm Frida Wara. Welcome once again to the Lake Superior Podcast. Today, Frida, another interesting one on the docket. It has to do with uh, storytelling and and more, but telling a, a story that's important to hear. Tell us a little bit about what you lined up here for us well, today. you know, Walt, I love documentaries. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. That's how, well, you and I first were working together years back. Yes, indeed. And, you know, when you get a chance to have an Emmy award-winning documentarian mm-hmm. on the line, it's even better. And let's put the icing on that cake that this story is about our beloved Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. So I want you to meet John Shepard. He is the Associate Professor, Assistant Director of the Center for Global Environmental Education at Hamlin University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Welcome to the podcast, John. Well, thank you. Thank you to both of you. Um, You know, let's get right into it here. We're talking about a a new piece, your latest film. Uh, Give us a little bit of background on it. What is it? And uh, then we'll kind of get into how it all came together. Tell us about your latest film. Sure. That sounds good. So what we're working on right now um, is a documentary about the impacts of climate change on Lake Superior. And the, the title of the film is A Sea Change for Lake Superior. So the film, it's an hour-long program. Um, it's being co-produced by uh, our center at Hamlin University and PBS North, the uh, PBS affiliate in Duluth. And uh, so it's an hour long, and it will be looking at uh, the fact that Lake Superior, as cold, as famously frigid, and as huge as it is, uh, is now among the fastest warming lakes in the world. Um, the, uh, a number of scientists uh, working with different organizations have documented that uh, since the late 1990s, the surface waters of Superior on average have warmed uh, four or five degrees Fahrenheit over that period of time. And when you think about how huge Lake Superior is, that is, a, that is very significant. So uh, the documentary just really explores that question or, or that fact, asking the question, well, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean for the uh, lake's natural systems, uh, for fisheries, 
for people uh, and communities that live along the shores of the lake and, and folks whose livelihoods are closely tied to the lake or who recreate uh, in the lake. Um, so we look at, you know, those, those uh, from, kind of from those perspectives, um, you know, what does that mean? But also, what does it mean for the legacy of a lake that is so renowned for being cold? And the coldness of the waters of Lake Superior are really an um, important factor in uh, the lake as a natural system. You know, the ecology of the lake is very much a cold water ecology, the, you know, the uh, animals and plants, aquatic creatures and aquatic plants that live in Superior have, uh, you know, they're there because they are accustomed to and have adapted to those conditions. So, you know, what might that mean going forward? So that's kind of a quick overview. And, and you know, as part of that, we're, we're, uh, we are embracing and working with uh, indigenous partners to you know, understand more about, um, you know, cultural perspectives on Superior and what ways is it important for um, the different bands of Ojibwe who live along the lake, um, as well as, you know, other voices and other perspectives of people who are, are close to Lake Superior. Could you tell me, uh, John, just a little bit about how this all works together with the Center for Global Environmental Education at Hamlin and also a little bit of your background in it, how it works, your assistant director, your assistant, associate professor at the at the university. How does this all work together, like your background and then documenting this information? Right. So um, our center, Center for Global Environmental Education at Hamlin, University is, uh, is, you know, a center at a university commonly does things that are a little outside the box compared to, you know, much of what happens at a university. So, you know, we do teach courses. We're part of the School of Education. We work a lot with uh, teachers uh, providing continuing studies and, and uh, learning programs, institutes, workshops, that kind of thing. But we also have a very broad mission, and our mission is to engender environmental literacy and stewardship in citizens of all ages. So that's a great big kind of vision. Right. And we work all around the country. We've been very active uh, up and down the Mississippi River. We're doing projects in the Gulf of Mexico um, and increasingly in the Great Lakes. So our goal is to, generally speaking, in our work um, within the uh, Lake Superior region and elsewhere, is to really help people deepen their understanding of the natural world that you know we live within the landscapes that surround that surround us um, you know how those natural systems work um, uh, and how cultural and natural systems uh, connect with each other and my I'm a, actually an anthropologist by training not a, a natural scientist so I've always been really interested in kind of those connecting points between cultural traditions and natural uh, environments. So a lot of our work, you know, kind of happens in that area. Um, so uh, at, and in Western Lake Superior, we are, uh, this, this documentary that we're doing is really part of a larger public education initiative that um, is impacting uh, large numbers of people, mostly up to now on the North Shore of Lake Superior and uh, in the Duluth area, but we're expanding our reach along the South Shore into Wisconsin and uh, into the UP of, of Michigan. So we've got um, 
a network of museum-quality interactive multimedia kiosks, kind of big storytelling machines that you walk up to. You, you'd be familiar with them, seeing them in a museum, and you touch the screen and have this interactive learning experience. We call that our um, Lake Superior Multimedia Galleries, and it has about six hours of, of content, videos, uh, interactive experiences, uh, 360 landscape panoramas. So it's really to engage people in learning about uh, the natural and cultural heritage of Lake Superior. And we've got a smartphone app that is a companion to that that has all that same content on it, but it knows where you are and can take you to places that you're interested in visiting. And then we repurpose all that content again uh, over the Internet for K-12 schools and integrate that uh, with uh, classroom activities and lesson plans that teachers can use. So it's this multi-part uh, uh, initiative that is having a big impact in Minnesota, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, expanding that, that work uh, into the, along the South Shore. John, I wanted to ask, it really right away caught my attention when you said that the lake has warmed four to five degrees Fahrenheit since the 1990s. Do you have any comparison on how the other Great Lakes, Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, what degrees they may have warmed in that time frame? Well, what we know from, you know, in, in, in doing this project, the Sea Change for Lake Superior, um, you know, we've been interviewing numerous scientists who have been studying Superior and, the, and other, uh, other of Great Lakes and other large lakes around the world. Um, and Superior kind of stands out in terms of its warming. And, and part of the reason for that is that a couple of things. It's, in, it's, it's quite a bit farther north than the other Great Lakes. And compared to other large lakes, Africa has a couple of very large lakes, Lake Victoria. Um, there's Lake Baikal in Russia. Uh, which is actually the the deepest lake in the world, has the most volume of water, but Lake Superior is the largest by surface area. Uh, lake Superior has 10% of the world's surface fresh water in it. And so it's very large, and it's very far north, and so that's part of the reason why historically it has been so cold. But with the, our changing climate, uh, what's happening is, as the climate has been warming, um, that has had an impact on conditions in the winter in terms of the extent of ice that covers Lake Superior um, and the duration of ice, the, the duration that ice is covering the lake. So we've had more ice-free winters and more winters where the ice just isn't as uh, on the lake as long. And that is, uh, you know, that's different than the other Great Lakes because they aren't so far north and they aren't as cold. Um, and it's massive. And so um, that warming, it, it is warming faster than the other Great Lakes. I don't have the numbers on, you know, comparatively uh, how much that is the case. But the, you know, Superior is the one that does stand out as, as uh, dr- dramatically warming uh, in comparison to really uh, all, all other lakes around the world. We're talking with John Shepard today, who is Associate Professor and Assistant Director of the Center for Global Environmental Education at Hamlin University in St. Paul, Minnesota, about uh, his latest film, A Sea Change for Lake Superior, and uh, a wide range of all kinds of other related things. Film, John, is a powerful medium. It's possibly the most powerful. You've mentioned these other tools 
Uh, you talked about a phone app. You've talked about this kiosk, which to me sounds fascinating that that information is sort of self-contained like that. Um, how is this going over? Do you have any measures of perhaps some success, some feedback from the users? Uh, how, how is that effort going? Yeah. So um, we've really, uh, you know, been uh, implementing this multi-part, you know, outreach strategy uh, since 2022 uh, in uh, the Western Lake Superior. Um, we've done the same kind of thing in other parts of the country, uh, along the Mississippi River and Hawaii and the Gulf Coast. Um, but uh, in this region, our region up here is really where we've, we've been able to have uh, the resources to really develop this concept more fully. So uh, in 2022, we had uh, 18 of our uh, these museum-quality large multimedia kiosks out uh, in May, all the major state parks, uh, the highway rest areas, major museums and interpretive centers along the North Shore of Lake Superior from Grand Portage to Duluth. Um, and we rolled out the smartphone app and we uh, got the um, K-12 online learning program online and began working, connecting with uh, school districts in the region. And in that first year, we had about 152,000 uh, distinct users interacting with this content that we've created through these different strategies. Um, so that's pretty significant. There are, you know, you know at the same time, there are like 6.7 million people that pass through Duluth on their way up the North Shore. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of people uh, coming to our part of the country that, you know, uh, to Superior Shore. So, uh, you know, it's a, there are a lot of people out there, but we have seen um, uh, active uh, growth and participation among people who uh, make commitments to uh, keep pollution out of their storm drains for those that live in urban areas. That's one of the kind of the action steps that we encourage people to take. Um, so that has been growing as a result of, you know, this this, this uh, public outreach campaign that we've been doing. And then this last, this year, 2023, we've expanded uh, this whole effort uh, we now have about 30 of these uh, kiosks in more and more places. Uh, so, so far it looks like we're, we'll be close to doubling the number of folks who we're interacting with. So it's, it's, it's up in the above 250,000 folks for, for this year. So it's growing, um, and we are finding, uh, you know, feedback has been very positive as we've, you know, occasionally able to really, uh, drill down and kind of get a sense of, of how people are interacting with, with these resources. So, um, we've been, we've been, um, you know, pleased with, with the impacts. The other thing is we've really, uh, over the years have researched, you know, how do you, how do you move people? First, a couple of questions. How do you get people's attention? You know, we live in an age where, you know, we're bombarded with media all the time. Uh, so how do you stand out and get people's attention? And then how do you move people to action? And so, uh, we've actually done research in those areas and the strategies we've developed really have grown out of that. And, and, you know, storytelling is very powerful, uh, place-based stories that kind of evoke for people, you know, what's special about, um, places of importance, you know, um, the waters and land surrounding this, this incredible lake. Um, you know, people have deep experiences who people who, you know, experienced superior, um, and had a chance to, 
recreate and be be out there on the lake or along the shores, you know that impacts people deeply. And if and if stories uh, can kind of evoke those emotional associations and then you know um, provide you know useful information on top of the emotional impact, you know that has proven to be effective. So that's um, you know that, that in a nutshell, you know we're we're uh, the whole effort is expanding and and has been proven to be effective. When we think about those numbers, Walt, the yeah. mm-hmm. 152,000 that first year with the kiosks, maybe doubling that. Yeah. I'm not sure, John, um, we're going to, we're going to get you to the UP, but the entire population of the Upper Peninsula, you've probably already <laughs> yeah. touched in a the, sense because we're just, uh, 300,000 people in the UP. Well, yeah, basically. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, John, when you're talking about these things, it's it's it, the kiosks in particular are really interesting to me. But um, you touched on something just a moment ago about um, like things that people can do to make a difference. You talked storm sewers, and I know there's something that you're doing with that. Can you share just a little bit more about that with us? Yeah. So, you know, we always work to include opportunities for stewardship or for, you know, people to, to uh, activities that people can do to address issues that they're learning about as they interact with our, uh, with our outreach uh, programs. Um, you know, we want to, we want to inspire people. We want to engage them, but also, you know, give them uh, as, as concerns about the warming of the lake and some of the implications of the warming of the lake, which we haven't really talked about yet. Um, we want to give you know, opportunities for action and keeping uh, just what are, what are called non-point source pollutants. And that's things like grass clippings and leaves and, mm-hmm. you know, herbicides from your garden, pesticides, even, uh, you know, dirt that you might be uh, using to add to a garden, that kind of stuff. If you can keep all of those as well as litter and certainly things like, you know, motor oil and, you know, that kind of thing, Keeping those pollutants out of storm drains is very important for just maintaining the, uh, you know, the quality of our waterways. Because you know, in a, in any urban area, um, typically the, the storm drains there is no uh, treatment of whatever flows into those drains, and they they you know fairly quickly will be deposited in the nearest waterway. So if it's a community along the shores of Lake Superior that those storm drains are going to be draining into the into the lake, and one of the one of the consequences of the warming of the lake is the increase in algae blooms, uh, particularly along the, the south shore of the lake um, between uh, uh, Duluth Superior and uh, Bayfield or into the Shawamigan Bay or is where they have been occurring, but in other places as well. So keeping those nutrients, in the, you know, that, that come along with um, grass clippings and leaves and, and stuff like that, keeping that out of the storm drain is, is an important step that anybody can do. Uh, just, you know, be more conscientious about uh, raking up leaves, not blowing your, your grass clippings out into the street uh, and so forth. And, and, you know, if everybody does that, that's going to that's gonna help uh, mitigate the occurrence of these algae blooms, which is one of the, one of the things that's happening uh, with the warming of uh, Lake Superior. We're talking with John Shepard today, Associate Professor and Assistant Director for the Center for Global Environmental Education at Hamlin University in St. Paul, Minnesota. I really appreciate that storm drain 
just being watchful. Mm-hmm. I mean, where I live, I don't, I don't have it. I, I live right on Lake Superior. So you better believe there's no uh, fertilizers and insecticides going on any, well, we don't even have any grass. Anyway, we got a couple of dogs <laughs> and grass. you know how that goes. But the idea that if you are in a metropolitan area in those cities, Marquette being the largest city on Lake Superior in Michigan, yeah. yeah. You know, we all go for a walk. It's not a bad thing to just be kind of, hey, wait a minute, we need to clean that up because, you know, our, our municipalities don't have the labor force to be able to go and watchdog that stuff. But if it's right out in front, you're going to get the mail anyway. It's a great place to pay attention. Now, John, you were talking here a moment ago about the implications of this. And uh, the, as the temperatures continue to rise in algae blooms and such, we're hearing more and more about that, especially in places like Marquette, where we're doing this today, uh, which is right on the lake. Um what are some of the other things maybe that are potentially going to happen if we if we fail or neglect to take a to get a handle on this? Right. So the other major impacts um, related to to the warming of the lake that are being documented um, have to do with one of them has to do with invasive species. So uh, Lake Superior has quite a quite a few less. Uh, species of, of invasive species as compared to the other Great Lakes, something like 80 in Lake Superior compared to 180 in the, the lower lakes. And one of the reasons why that is the case is because the lake is so cold. So uh, in the 40s and 50s, many people are aware that the sea lamprey was uh, an invasive species that got into the Great Lakes uh, and really made had huge impacts on fish population in all of the Great Lakes except Lake Superior. It did, uh, you know, it was in Lake Superior, did have, you know, an impact, but not as bad um, as the lower lakes. And and the reason was, you know, because of how cold the lake is. So, um, so those, and then, the, you know, sea lamprey has been managed uh, and their numbers have been reduced significantly, the, you know, the and the predator, uh, fish species, the lake trout have, have rebounded and, uh, you know, so that things, things have been moving in a good direction as far as that goes as related to the sea lamprey. Um, but as the lake has been warming, there has been documentation of, uh, increased presence of the sea lamprey. They're doing better. So it will require more effort to, to manage, uh, to manage the sea lamprey. Other kinds of species, invasive species, quagga mussels, zebra mussels are a couple that are pervasive in the lower 48, or not lower 48 in the, uh, the lower Great Lakes. Um, and, uh, again, they're not as prevalent in Lake Superior. Uh, our understanding is that it's, that's less related to the temperature and more to the chemistry of the lake. There's less calcium in Lake Superior, so there's not as much material for, uh, especially the quagga mussels to make their shells. Um, but, uh, temperature may play a role in that as well. So, you know, invasive species is a, another area of concern that's related to the warming of the lake. Uh, and then, uh, a third one is just major storm events. And I'm sure, uh, a lot of your listeners mm-hmm. will remember 2018 uh, being a year when there was a 1,000-year storm event that made its way uh, along the UP and all of uh, northern Wisconsin as well that, you know, resulted in incredible uh, impacts in, you know, city streets and wastewater or, or uh, stormwater systems uh, knocking out bridges. And 
you know, as the, as those storms occurred, huge amounts of, of runoff from the, the rivers that drain into the South shore, uh, were happening, carrying large amounts of sediment. The sediment blooms, uh, from those big storms, uh, and the, uh, there's another thousand year storm in 2016. Uh, those sediment blooms are so big they could be seen from space. And, uh, of course that sediment is carrying nutrients and, and, uh, you know, material soil, uh, from the land. And the major algae blooms that have occurred, uh, did, occurred, uh, were in association, you know, after these big storm events. And so, you know, the storm events themselves are, uh, you know, they had huge impact, but, uh, and then you couple that with the, uh, algae blooms that, that came in, the, you know, as an aftermath. And what, what they found is, you know, when you have a big storm event, if you've also had, uh, the waters have been particularly warm. That's uh, a situation that really tends to uh, be to co- be coincided with the larger scale algae blooms. Um, so those are those are the the three things that um, the scientists we have been talking to are uh, identifying and, and most concerned about. You know, there's also concern about plastics pollution, which is beginning to show up uh, in Lake Superior as big and as pristine as it is. Um, and so, you know, and that's not a direct cause, you know, that's not directly caused by uh, the warming climate and the warming of the lake, but um, it is a, another area of concern. And of course, plastics are strongly connected to fossil fuels and so forth. So, you know, they're, they're connected in, in indirect ways, but those are, those are the, the main things that um, folks we are talking to are, uh, identifying and concerned about. John, where can we view your films? Well, the, um, the sea change for Lake Superior is still being, uh, still, it's still, uh, the sausage is still being made. We are, uh, <laughs> have filmed, filmed almost all the filming is done. Uh, we took us, I don't know, nine months or so. Um, we did some over the winter. We did a little bit last fall and then through this last summer. And we're now uh, fairly furiously editing uh, and putting things together. So it'll be uh, ready for broadcast by uh, the first week in December. It'll be begin broadcast uh, by PBS North in Duluth. And then uh, sometime within a month or two after that, it will be available for viewing uh, online uh, at uh, with PBS North and then through our YouTube channel as well. And then uh, subsequently it'll it'll eventually be released to PBS affiliates in other states uh, around the region and around the country. So that's that's a rough a rough timeline. Seems uh, fair. People can look forward to seeing it, that. It seems yeah. fair. Frida and I both have a background in production like this, so we understand <laughs> oh, when you say yeah. furiously editing. Um, also, for looking things up online, if people have questions more about this overall initiative, because there's other pieces, there's other, there's much more than films, and there's a lot of information. Where can people find out more about the overall initiative and the effort? Yeah, good question. Um, so our website uh, and our uh, web address is C-G-E-E dot Hamlin, which is spelled H-A-M-L-I-N-E dot E-D-U. So C-G-E-E dot Hamline dot E-D-U. Um, is, you know, we, we have, uh, information about, 
our uh, storm drain stewardship project, which is called Adopt a Drain. That actually has its own um, URL that is just uh, adoptadrain.org. And people are welcome to um, explore that as well. And that is a very cool project that we're implementing all around the country. We've got uh, cities uh, subscribe to participate in this, and uh, you know our website. People can find the storm drain if if there's if there's cities involved in the project, they can uh, find their storm drain on a map in front of their house and click on that and give it a name. You get to give your storm drain an original <laughs> name, and then uh, you report your the you know your estimates of the amount of uh, leaves and grass clippings and other debris that you're you're keeping out of the drain, which is, you know, that's really valuable information for uh, municipalities, you know, as they are uh, enacting this effort, you know, it's helpful for them to know, you know, how much, uh, what kind of impacts this kind of effort is having. So um, anyway, adoptadrain.org or cgee.hamlin.edu are a couple of websites people can use. That's perfect for us, John. I mean, that's some good information right there. And there's a lot that you're keeping your arms around. And we appreciate your time today to talk to us about it. And hopefully we'll get some of our folks that listen here to the podcast to go to these sites and check it out and find out a little bit more about it as you continue to, I guess, try to spread this across Lake Superior to get this information out. We really appreciate your your, your comments today. The whole Great Lakes Good. Basin is so grateful yeah. for your work, John. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. That's that's wonderful. Great to hear. John Shepard, Associate Professor and Assistant Director for the Center for Global Environmental Education at Hamlin University in St. Paul. That's a lot that that, that program is talking about. Wow. I mean, there, there's a lot, as I said, to put your arms around it. And, yes. you know, John is part of the team that does this, but... You know, telling the story, especially by having films, documentaries, but this interactive kiosk that they have and such, it certainly seems like it would be worth seeking out. Just even if you have questions, you're not even sure about the whole discussion about Lake Superior, the Great Lakes climate change. There's a lot there, at least to look at, to educate yourself. A sea change for Lake Superior, you can bet I'm going to be on it. Mm -hmm. And that should be ready December of 2023. It sounds like it's going to be premiered with public broadcasting. but you know, just keeping our our uh, mm-hmm. fingers close to that. And, you know, the other thing is John just recently won a regional Emmy Award for a past program called Northern Night Starry Skies. And, you know, we just talked with John Muller about the dark sky, yep. the International Dark Sky Park. This is with a... I believe Travis Novitsky is with the Grand Portage Band. Mm-hmm. And it I just saw, you know, another short little clip, but it was enough to, to whet my appetite to say, I want to learn more about how well he can document our Aurora Borealis. And this has been interesting as we talk about all of the things that are influencing Lake Superior and our influence on that and how it all works together. And it really reinforces the connectivity, the way all things are connected, whether it's in indigenous thought it's in more uh traditional thought with 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 the environment and we hope that at least today we've given you some food for thought as you're listening into the podcast we thank john shepherd for his time so it's really something i'd have to say frida you know well if you were to travel the lake shore from grand portage all the way to pictured rocks it's got to be maybe a thousand miles i'm not exactly sure but lots of different stories <laughs> amongst those five yes. parks 
But as you said, they're still all connected because that big blue still depends on, it depends on us really to take care of it. I mean, certainly it is, ah, what a treasure we have on this planet. Absolutely. And we need to take care of it. We appreciate you joining us on the podcast today and uh, giving us your time to listen in to John Shepard and our conversation. If you've got an idea for something that you would like to hear us talk about on the podcast, you can get it to the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation and they will forward it on to us and uh, we'll look into it because we're always looking to tell more stories of the people and the places around the big blue Lake Superior. I'm Walt Lindela. I'm Freda Wara. Thanks for listening. The National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation, NPLSF, is the only official nonprofit 501c3 fundraising partner of the National Park Service for all five U.S. national park sites on Lake Superior. To learn more about NPLSF projects and programs, you can visit the website at nplsf.org or friend them on Facebook. I'm Freda Wara. And I'm Walt Lindela. Thanks for listening to the Lake Superior Podcast. This podcast made possible with the support of the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation and Media Brew Communications. This episode brought to you by Cafe Imports, Minneapolis-based importers of fine specialty green coffees, independently owned and operated since 1993. Cafe Imports has been dedicated to decreasing its impact on the earth through renewable energy, carbon neutrality, and by supporting conservational efforts in places where quality coffee is grown and also where quality coffee is consumed. Where does your coffee come from? And by the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation. As a nonprofit, we rely on support from listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please consider a donation. To learn more and make a gift, visit us at www.gosuperior.org.